Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode number 176 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all had a tremendous week as we push into the month of November. Mid-season awards, mid-season recap will be coming next week. Week 10, episode number 177. But first things first, got to get through this week. We've got some big games to talk about. We've got a little bit of a resurgence from a contender that I'm, you know, a little interested in as my Super Bowl pick. We've got some stumbling teams. We've got some stumbling and bumbling teams. And we've got a trade deadline to wrap up. So let's jump right in to my standout seven. Also worth noting, I mentioned in last week's episode, coming down with a little bit of a cold sort of thing, still battling it. If you hear some coughing, if you hear my voice a little messed up, my apologies. Working through it, trying to do the best we can to get the content out on time and high quality, well, as high quality as we can. Either way, number one in my standout seven, let's go straight to the bigger story, and it's got to be two AFC contenders. Bigger story, Kansas City's perplexing loss to the Denver Broncos, or Cincinnati's win over the San Francisco 49ers. Let's get started with the negative side of it, as we are inclined to do on this show. You know how it goes. Kansas City on the road in Denver against a team that had given up 70 points earlier this season. Although, something I probably overlooked and a lot of prognosticators did, the first matchup between Kansas City and Denver, Kansas City did not look good at all. I chalked it up at the time to them kind of not taking Denver seriously. I mean, it was 16-0 after three. Sure, the offense wasn't looking tremendous coming out of Andy Reid's bunch, but the defense looked good. They did enough. Well, in this one, I wouldn't say the defense looked awful. 24 against Denver is uh, not tremendous, but I mean, realistically, Russell Wilson throws for 115 yards in this game. Like, you hold your opponent to under 150 passing yards, about 150 on the ground. You're thinking, all right, well, we're in it at the least. Patrick Mahomes goes for 240, 24-38, two interceptions, not his finest hour, not much on the ground for them either. Pacheco averages five yards a carry, but he gets just eight of them. The rest of the rushes combine for, what is this, eight carries for under 30 yards. Nothing crazy. Not a good game. Is it one of those flush-it-away sort of games? We've seen a lot of the contenders have it. We talked about with Detroit last week against Baltimore that they were just overmatched, completely dominated. You know what? Let's just hope it doesn't happen again. Flush it away. I think with Kansas City, there might be something there. Now, am I a brilliant NFL mind? Well, if I were, I probably wouldn't be sitting in my bedroom talking to you all right now. I'd probably either be in a studio somewhere or making more money than I'm making doing my job. To be blunt, I say that to say this. The other AFC contenders are going to study what Denver has done against Mahomes. Is it easy to stifle an Andy Reid offense? Not really. Is it easy to stifle... Patrick Mahomes, who fresh out of the gates has been, you know, one of the highest trajectories we've seen of a quarterback's career literally ever. Um, No, it's not easy to stifle him. However, this is noteworthy. Once is, you know, a fluke. Twice is a little bit of a pattern here. Now, will those other teams have the personnel to be able to do it? Will a Miami be able? Will a Buffalo be able? Will a Cincinnati? be able, or Baltimore, or whoever is a contender that you want to throw in here. I'm not sure of that. 
you know? But the realistic thing is Denver's defense, personnel-wise, is not a top-five team in the league. I mean, PS2 is a tremendous corner. They've got some decent players out there. Um, not really trying to knock them after their best performance of the year, but let's be honest, they're not running an all-star team out there on the defensive side, which means you've got to give some points to the coaching staff and to the strategic side of it. This could come back to bite in the long run. Now let's get positive. Let's talk Bengals winning a Super Bowl rematch a whole bunch of years in the making. Um, Cincinnati looked significantly better in the passing game than they had early in the season, right? 28 of 32, 283, three touchdowns. Joe Burrow is back. Is he 100% healthy? I couldn't tell you that one. I'm not sure if he could tell you he's 100%. I could tell you he's 100% better than he was a handful of weeks ago. He looked great out there. On the San Francisco side, two more interceptions from Brock Purdy. Is clock ticking on Cinderella here, right? Because the fact of the matter is they traded Trey Lance. We don't know what Trey Lance is. And you know what? Honestly, with him being stuck in Dallas, we may never know what he is as an NFL quarterback. They didn't go for somebody like an Aaron Rodgers. I'm not jumping off of the Brock Purdy bandwagon. I still think there's talent there, obviously. But it's a little odd that all of a sudden the guy that, you know, couldn't turn the ball over seems to be turning the ball over, right? I mean, you got to acknowledge last year, Nine games, five starts, right? Five starts in the regular season, four picks. He's already got five picks this year. Oh, by the way, they've all come in the last three games. Oh, by the way, all three of those games are losses. Oh, by the way, they haven't topped 20 points in any of those games. Oh, by the way, two of them were one-score losses. Now, you want to say the Cleveland game could have been a win? Yeah, fair enough. Minnesota? Come on now. Losing to Minnesota there on the road a little bit inexcusable, I would say. Losing to Cincinnati, much more excusable, which is why we're not talking about San Francisco's skid, though you can make the argument we certainly should. We'll postpone that to the midseason recap next week. Now, back on the Cincinnati side of things. This is the team that I expected to see coming into the year. This is why I had Joe Burrow as an MVP candidate and Cincinnati as a title contender and a title winner, right? On the ground, we saw more mobility from Burrow than we've seen in a long time. Six carries for 43 yards might be the highest he's had in a while. Joe Mixon, 16 carries for 87 against a good San Francisco defense. Jamar Chase goes 10 for 100. T. Higgins pitches in. Tyler Boyd pitches in as well. This is a good team. And it seems like, you know, it's just one game. I'm not going to go crazy over it. It seems like they may have started to figure it out. Now, the interesting one and why I've paired these together. The bigger story. If Cincinnati has it figured out and they go on a run here, It's going to be them. However, Kansas City was coming in last week with the number one record in the AFC, and they are the defending champions. If, even if it's a myth, there's a little bit of a secret sauce out there to try and shake them down based on what Denver's been able to do. That's a massive story. Massive. Considering this AFC is very competitive. In the time being, flip the coin. You want to be positive or negative? I don't think necessarily there is a secret sauce to beat Kansas City. I think Kansas City had two bad performances, and I will say some of it was overlooking Denver in the first. Um, And in this one, it's, you know, you can't run out there and expect to constantly dominate with... It's a little bit of a, a foolish thing to say. They don't have a true number one receiver. I don't know if we've seen a team that passes so prolifically. Is that a word? has such a prolific passing attack 
He was oh, it's Travis Kelsey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It literally does just relying on athleticism and scheming their way in with some of these wide receivers into situations to win. I mean, last year, who was their wideout number one? Juju Smith-Schuster? And they won the Super Bowl. So if they can do that, but I, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know if Marquez Valdez-Scantling is Juju. He's a good deep threat in spurts, right? Nicole Hardman, good deep threat in spurts. A little bit of a lower tier, I would say. Have we seen Sky Moore contribute consistently? No. Kadarius Toney? No. Richie James was on this team. Where's he? Rasheed Rice looks pretty good. It's a little early. Justin Watson looks good for a handful of plays a game and then disappears. Moderately concerned about Kansas City. I'm giving the edge to Cincinnati, though, because they finally looked like the Bengals. Number two in the standout seven, bigger win. Two teams that kind of have their division in their clutches, picking up wins against fellow contenders. Or so I thought. The Philadelphia Eagles, W over the Commanders, or the Jaguars win on the road in Pittsburgh. Let's start with the Eagles. This is a team in Washington that just pushed them to the brink, at the link, in OT, right? This fourth quarter, by the way, going into the fourth quarter, it is 17-17. in the fourth quarter alone. We finally see Sam Howell make a relatively major slip-up. A couple of drop passes in this game. However, didn't matter in the long run. Well, I guess it kind of did. I shouldn't say that. Uh, I would say it didn't matter in the long run because Philly was able to make some stops and pull away when it mattered. But, I mean, the turnover mattered. Jalen Hurts, 29-38, 3-19, four touchdowns. DeAndre Swift, just under four yards a carry on the ground on 16 carries. A.J. Brown balled out. Buck, 30 and two tutties. Devontae Smith, just under 100, just a hair under 100 receiving yards and a touchdown. Julio Jones had a touchdown in this one. Shout out to Julio back on the NFL field. Um, What can I say about this game? I think Washington is in a tough spot either way. Because the Philadelphia Eagles right now, definitively, whether you're an Eagle hater or not, are a top five team in the NFL. We can whittle that number down, by the way. But even for the people that don't like the Eagles, they don't like Jalen Hurts, it's tush-push, whatever, shenanigans, you know, it's the O-line making them look good, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a top five team in the NFL. We can whittle that number down to what confidently? Top four? Who's up there with them? Let's take a look at the NFL standings as we sit here in week number nine, just a handful of hours before the bulk of our action. Who are you putting above the Eagles? In the NFC, the Niners' losing streak makes them no. Detroit? You're not putting Detroit above the Philadelphia Eagles. Miami? Well, the Eagles beat Miami. Kansas City on pedigree, because they beat them in the Super Bowl. If you want to be that guy, you can, but they just lost to Denver. Baltimore? Are you bullish on Baltimore? Fair enough. Jacksonville? I mean, realistically, in the NFC after San Francisco's skid, it's Philly and everybody else. You want to say Detroit's the definitive number two? Well, San Francisco's sliding. Fair enough, I guess, for the time being. I'd still give San Francisco the edge in the long run, but Detroit can be the definitive number three. They've beaten Miami. Kansas City's coming off of a tough loss. This team is tremendous. That's the reason I say if you're Washington, you, you can't really be that mad at this. right? We'll talk about their decisions of the trade deadline in a little bit. But coming into the year, I thought this team was a wild card contender. 
sitting at three and five, I think you can make the argument they still are. They've got New England this week, right? They've got Seattle the following week, which is kind of a show-me game. Then they've got the New York Giants, winnable. Dallas on Thanksgiving, which is spicy. Miami, the Rams, which is doable. The Jets on Christmas Eve. The 49ers, which is a rough one on New Year's Eve. And then Dallas again. They've got a rough road to go, and maybe that's why they sold. But, I mean, you're looking at likely wins against New England, the Giants, and the Jets, theoretically. 50-50s against Seattle. The Rams, I think you could... hmm, Depending on how bullish you are on the Rams. I don't know. Hold your head up high, Washington, because Sam Howell still looks like a gunslinger. I mean, and I don't mean it in the Brett Favre sense. I mean, he looks like a legit QB. 39 of 52, just a hair under 400. Four touchdowns in that pick we mentioned. I mean, the kid can play. And it's bizarre to think if you heard that story about Taylor Heineke having to encourage the coaching staff to play him in, I believe it was week 18 last year. Absolutely bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Fireable, if we're being frank. And we'll get into that part of it at the trade deadline discussion. Let's talk Jaguars-Steelers. I said in the pick'em portion, I don't love this matchup for Jacksonville. Jacksonville plays pretty good defense. Pittsburgh plays really good defense. Coming out of this one, obviously, Kenny Pickett gets hurt. Kind of throws this one for a loop. Uh, Mitch Trubisky comes in, throws two interceptions, has just over a 50% completion percentage. Pittsburgh gets nothing going in terms of running the ball. Um, Yeah, Jacksonville just looked a class above, if we're being honest. Trevor Lawrence, 24-32, 292, a touchdown and a pick. Travis Etienne doing what he does. Pitching in 27 touches for a buck 49 and a touchdown, a long touchdown if memory serves. Um, yeah, just a great game from Jacksonville. I want to throw them in here just because considering I think they're going to be right in that S tier or A tier, I guess, whatever you want to call it, the upper echelon of the AFC when it matters in the postseason, you should be able to beat teams that are in the lower B tier, I would say, like Pittsburgh. And they did it. Who got the bigger win? I guess we'll call it Philly because they've got Washington, you know, in their rearview mirror now, and they've got Dallas potentially on their heels. Jacksonville should comfortably win their division, but I would give a nod to Jacksonville as well. Good win on the road. Number three in the standout seven, let's talk NFC contenders with a question mark. Bigger win, the New Orleans Saints or the Seattle Seahawks. We could be talking about two division winners come a few, well, more than a few weeks, but as we stand right now, New Orleans at 4-4 four and four after their win over Indy on the road, and Seattle moves to 5-2 and two with their win at home. Let's talk about New Orleans on the road. Derek Carr, 19-27, and two touchdowns, look pretty darn good. Two more rushing touchdowns for Taysom Hill. Kamara did his thing, 21 touches, over 100 yards. Uh, Chris Olave played in this game. I mean, didn't he just get arrested? Am I missing details here? Did he not just get arrested? I mean, like, all right, whatever. We don't need to go there. We usually keep it between the lines, but, like, like, come on. Like, the ink's not even dry. Anyway, uh, big game from Rashid Shahid, my boy. Looking tremendous. I, I like this guy. I really do. I've said before that the, the good name adds to your NFL, you know, star likelihood. Rashid Shahid, rhyming name. Wearing 22 at receiver, everything about it screams he's going to be one of those dudes. And he looked good in this game. He really did. On the Colts side, 
you're playing with a backup QB, right? You put up over, you know, 12 carries for 95 for Jonathan Taylor, 11 carries for 66 for Zach Moss. You throw the ball 41 times. I mean, yeah, 41 times with Gardner Minshew. That's probably not great. Probably not. Um, Couldn't really throw the ball that great down the field, I would say. I mean, Michael Pittman averages five yards a catch in this one. Josh Downs, seven for 72. Uh, It's not a huge win for New Orleans in terms of who they're beating, but Indy has been competitive with Baltimore. They've been competitive with a lot of teams. It's a team that could have caught him by surprise, and I'll give him a nod for bringing home the win. Speaking of teams that should have won and did win, let's get to Seattle here. Facing P.J. Walker at home, somehow you barely win this game. You're losing going into the fourth quarter. I mean, I know Cleveland's defense is good, but this is really, really just another feather in the cap. I guess I know they lose this game. I get it. Geno Smith goes 23-37, 254, two touchdowns, two picks. Um, Walker, Kenny Walker and Charbonnet on the ground combined for 13 carries for 119 yards, which is tremendous. Um, Yeah, it's a good win for Seattle. I just wanted to put it in here because, you know, with San Francisco sliding, Seattle's got a little bit of an opening in this division and potentially to move up the ranks in the NFC. Cleveland, tough team. Their quarterback, depending on who you're listening to, doesn't necessarily want to be on the football field. They put up a fight in this one. Man, that defense is good. Who had the bigger win? It comes down to, are you more confident in New Orleans winning their crowded division or Seattle pushing up the ranks in the NFC? And um, more confident in New Orleans, so I'll give the bigger win to Seattle taking down the Cleveland defense. Alrighty, number four in the standout seven. Let's get to our prime time wrap-up. Snoozers. Thursday night football was pretty good. Snoozers in the other games. Sunday night football. I did not admittedly give this my whole attention. Uh, 31-42-98, three touchdowns for Justin Herbert. Yeah, it sounds like he played the Chicago Bears. Two picks for Tyson Bajan. No Justin Fields. I'm not sure if we'll see him this week. We'll talk injury report when we get into the pick'em portion. I mean, no. We don't need to waste time on this game. Chargers won a game they should win. Good for you, Chargers. Speaking of games you should win, the Raiders on the road against Detroit. And, of course, Detroit took care of business. Jimmy Garoppolo completely missing two Devontae Adams long bombs and then promptly getting benched. Don't worry, we'll talk Raiders in a second. 10 of 21, a buck 26, an interception. On the other side, Jared Goff goes 26-37, 272, a touchdown and a pick. Jameer Gibbs looked fantastic. 26 carries for a buck 52. Oh, by the way, Craig Reynolds looked good too. 14 for 74. Amon Ra chipped in 100. Sam Laporta got a touchdown. And the Lions are roaring like we haven't seen in years. In years. Good for Detroit. Thursday night football, a game that was actually somewhat of an intriguing game. Right? Kenny Pickett played in this one. Didn't put up too much in terms of the stat department, but the running game for Pittsburgh looked pretty darn good. 27 carries for just under a buck 60 for the duo of Jalen Warren and Najee Harris. Deontay Johnson got in the end zone. There was a lot of talk before the game about he hasn't scored a touchdown in this long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he got in the end zone in this one. Uh, pick it through for just a buck 60. Will Levis looked okay. You know, obviously we didn't talk about his performance this past weekend against Atlanta. 
But he looked pretty darn good. Obviously, throws for four touchdowns. You got to look pretty good. Uh, three, I believe, to DeAndre Hopkins. Just kind of letting it rip. A little bit of that Josh Allen kind of effortless arm strength. Not trying to heap praise on the kid. He went 22-39, 262 in a game-sealing pick in this one. But he looked pretty good. He looked more promising than anything we've seen out of Malik Willis. I can tell you that much. And clearly the team believes in him more than Malik Willis after they were going to go dual quarterback this past weekend. And then there was a botched snap, and that promptly was dropped. Um, Kudos to Pittsburgh. Somehow Pittsburgh wins games every year that, you know, you look at their schedule at the beginning of the year, you go, eh, they'll float around 500, and somehow they wind up on the right side more often than the wrong. Shout out to Mike Tomlin. Good win for Pittsburgh at home. That's the primetime wrap-up. Now let's get into number five. Number five. Now, if you watched, well, I shouldn't say watched. If you listened last week, I had written down in my sheet for the show, Raiders, what on earth is going on? And we discussed the Raiders' decision to play Brian Hoyer at quarterback and somehow find a way to lose to Tyson Bagent and the Chicago Bears not only lose, lose by 18 points. Dumbfounded, truly. This is coming after weeks prior where Devontae Adams explicitly discussed the fact that he cares more about his stat line than if they won or lost. What is going on over there? Well, you have Jimmy Garoppolo at starting quarterback that you willingly brought in. Well, Josh McDaniel just got ties to New England. Well, hey, remember Jimmy Garoppolo was the backup in New England? Remember that one time he started a game? What are we doing? Why did we not go for Aaron Rodgers, who has the connection with Devontae Adams? Well, he wants to be a Jet. He wants to be a Jet. Yeah, everybody wants to be a Jet when the Jets are the only team negotiating. All right. Winds up getting hurt. I get it. It doesn't matter in the long run, but that doesn't excuse weird decision-making. All right, you let cargo. Cargo's to New Orleans. I get it. Now you have Devontae Adams, who came here explicitly to play with his friend. Of course he's going to be disgruntled. McDaniels gets canned. The GM gets canned. Antonio Pierce is now the head coach. Shout out to Antonio Pierce. I mentioned him Years prior, I kept discussing the fact that he was working under Herm Edwards in college football. I am very excited for Antonio Pierce to get his opportunity. But, like, what is going on? Devontae Adams, after their loss on Monday Night Football, said, I don't know what to say. I truly don't. I wish I had the words to say something that's not going to get blown up in the media or taken out of context. Catch the Blitz captioning, Devontae Adams letting his frustrations be known after a game where he had one catch for 11 yards. So, look, I'm not an Aiden O'Connell super fan. I couldn't have told you coming into the year that he'd be starting games, but, I mean, the Brian Hoyer thing was perplexing. Was the Did I say last week that it was a fireable offense? Did I not say that? I don't know. Maybe I don't jump to use fireable offense as much as I should. I throw it in there now and again. But, like, it just didn't make sense, right? Like, if Garoppolo's going to be hurt for a significant amount of time, you're going to play the kid. Brian Hoyer's not anything better than O'Connell. And then, by the way, we had this debate weeks ago. Because Garoppolo's been hurt multiple times already this season. The first time he got benched, I said, well, why didn't you play Hoyer? That's interesting. Clearly, you have more faith in O'Connell. Okay. 
and then you flip-flop on it, even though O'Connell didn't look that bad when he was out there, and he's a rookie, like, what are we doing? Pierce is going to go with O'Connell. All right. The whole thing is bizarre. I mean, let's be honest here, guys. What has Brian Hoyer achieved in his NFL career? Don't you tell me he's a Super Bowl champion. I know. The guy didn't get on the field. What are we talking about? I mean, the guy's best season, he has 12 touchdowns to 13 picks in Cleveland. I'll give you the 19-7 to in Houston, right? Yeah, that Houston team that went 9-7 and and lost in the wild card round 30 to nothing. What are we doing? What are we doing? Hoyer played in that game. You know, he did 15 to 34, four interceptions. Well, come on. I mean, come on. Patrick Mahomes. And it, it wasn't even Mahomes yet, guys. It was Alex Smith. Alex Smith with a buck 90 and a touchdown and an interception. You lost 30 to nothing. DeAndre Hopkins on this team, by the way. DeAndre Hopkins, rough luck sometimes. Rough luck. Anyway. Brian Hoyer is 38 years old. He is not going to give you a magical run. He's just not. You know, it's not like you signed a Carson Wentz who had a high, high before. He was an MVP candidate at one point. It's not like you dug up Matt Ryan, who was a Super Bowl champion almost, and an MVP, by the way. It's not like, you know, when the Colts went out and got Phillip Rivers in the offseason and said, you know what, we're going to give Phil a go and see if he still got it. Okay, fair enough. It's none of those things. I mean, McDaniel's just using the fact that he knows Jimmy Garoppolo and he knows Brian Hoyer, right? At the end of the day, that's what it is. We're talking about a guy, and I saw someone mention this, and I don't know who to credit, who in Denver wound up anchoring himself to Tim Tebow, and it didn't work out, and then he anchors himself to Jimmy Garoppolo, and it didn't work out. Remember when he was almost the coach of the Colts and then he backed out? Colts fans, oh my goodness. I know it didn't work out in that regime in the meantime. But, like, you didn't miss anything. I promise you didn't miss anything. Wow. Just wow. Number six in the standout seven, let's talk trade deadline shenanigans. So we've got a full summary of the moves. Not too many. Rasul Douglas and a 2024 fifth rounder going to Buffalo in exchange for a 2024 third rounder for Green Bay. All righty. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, didn't have him on my radar, gets moved to Detroit for a 2025 sixth round pick. I mean, not a bad get. Not a bad get. Obviously, Rasul Douglas, not a household name, but you should kind of know his name. Pretty good player. Donovan Peoples-Jones... I mean, coming off a year where he had almost 900 receiving yards, he's still 24 years old. Not a bad get for depth at the receiver position. Um, The San Francisco 49ers, and this is something that was floated by a couple of publications in the days and weeks leading up to the deadline. Chase Young for a 2024 third-round draft pick. Oh, by the way, Montez Sweat dealt the same day, earlier in the day, to the Chicago Bears of all teams for a 2024 Second round draft pick. Then after the Kirk Cousins Achilles injury, we have Josh Dobbs and a 2024 seven going to Minnesota in exchange for a 2024 six. 
This came after Arizona had reportedly considered or was going to flip-flop Dobbs out of the lineup. Maybe they were going to trade him anyway. All right. Uh, Another move for Minnesota. They get offensive lineman Ezra Cleveland from Jacksonville for a 2024 sixth-round pick. Um, We also have the Atlanta Falcons trading for Kentavious Street and a 2025-7 in exchange for a 2024 sixth. The New York Giants move Leonard Williams to Seattle for a 2024 second and a 2025 fifth. We'll talk about the Giants later. Don't worry. Uh, we talked about Nicole Hardman and Kevin Byard. Those trades happened earlier. Um, some decent some decent ads. I'm not going to lie to you. Buffalo, I like the corner depth, especially after Tredavious White went down yet again. I like Donovan Peoples-Jones. I think he's a decent player. Let's see what Detroit can sprinkle him into their offense. As far as wide receiver depth there, there's not a super amount, I would say. Um, in terms of what they've shown, because, I mean, you could look at the names on here, and we'll go through a few, and realistically, it's Amon Ross St. Brown and everyone else. Sam Laporta looks pretty good. Josh Reynolds, I liked in L.A. Is he a tremendous receiver? No, he's a good guy to have in the receiving room, and maybe as a number three. Number four, you're doing really well. Khalif Raymond, good for a spark play now and again. Jamison Williams... I mean, there's been a lot surrounding him. We haven't seen much. Uh, Marvin Jones, I believe, moved on from football. No longer with the squad. They needed it. If they're going to be an NFC contender, if they're going to be a Super Bowl contender, they need some depth at the wide receiver position. Um, Obviously a good get for San Francisco. You know, I like that Washington was aggressive and traded Chase Young because they know He's probably not going to resign, and they don't want to franchise tag him. I understand that. Makes sense to me. Uh, third round pick. Interesting, considering you got a second for Montez Sweat, but I guess, you know, having to resign Chase Young is a barrier. But the Giants got a second and a fifth for Leonard Williams, so that's even more interesting. I know Chase Young hasn't lived up to the hype, but he's still got the athleticism, and he's still very young. Kind of interesting. Good get for the Giants to move Leonard Williams to a contender. He seems happy about it. Uh, Second and a fifth for them. Good get for the Vikings to get Josh Dobbs. Underrated move. Is Josh Dobbs going to change their season? Probably not. However, considering the alternatives, getting a guy who started this season seems to have a little bit of upside. Who knows? Getting him out there. Let's see what happens. I like this. I like this move. And I like this move for Dobbs. Because what is he going to go ride the bench behind Clayton Toon and or Kyler Murray? What are we doing? Get him on a team. Let him play. Let's see what he's got. Why not? Um, That's pretty much our NFL trade wrap-up. You want to talk about teams that probably could have been sellers and or players that could have been moved. There's a long list. I mean, does New England have anyone that they might have been willing to move? Maybe a Jabril Peppers to contribute, right? Does anyone want to pillage the little bits that are there? Get Zeke Elliott on a contender? I don't think he's shown us that much. Um... The Raiders, you can make the argument, obviously, should Devontae Adams have been moved or at least kick around the idea to try and accelerate what is now a rebuild, I guess. Uh, But no, with a new regime coming in, who's going to make the trade anyway? So sit on your hands, I guess. Could the Chargers have added? The Chargers, a team sitting at three and four that are chasing Kansas City, constantly seem to come up short when you think they're going to be able to get over that hump. Could they have added? Potentially. Um, the Bills and or Dolphins competitive, obviously the Bills add, the Dolphins do not. All right, fair enough. Um, 
does Cincinnati need to add to catch Baltimore? Probably not. I think they need to add health. And it seems that they may have done that. Um, there was talk about Derrick Henry out of Tennessee. Didn't materialize. Didn't happen. Jonathan Taylor got his deal. He's not going anywhere in Indy. On the NFC side of it, could you have seen Dallas make a move, make them a little better to try and catch Philly? Eh, potentially. We saw Seattle make a move for Leonard Williams, which is a good get, help them stuff the run. Obviously, in a division where Christian McCaffrey rolls out of bed and has a touchdown every Sunday, going to be important. Yeah, we don't need to go through it. Well, we went through most everybody, right? NFC South is competitive. Surprised to not see a move. Atlanta, a little bit more significant. Tampa Bay, New Orleans, you guys are all within a game of each other. I guess none of them really know who's going to win that division. I mean, Tampa Bay was 3-1. and one. They've lost three in a row. You might need a little bit of a kick in the pants, but you know what? All right, fair enough. Play it as it is, and let's see what happens. Let's get to the New York Giants. There's not necessarily a way to transition to this. Is this number seven in the standout seven? Usually that's reserved for injury news, but we can call it that. Let's talk about the New York Giants. Now, unfortunately, I watched quite a bit of the New York Giants-New York Jets game. As a native New Yorker, if you've listened for the first time or the millionth time, I'm sure you could either gather that from my voice and or I've told you a million times. What did I say last week, folks? I said this feels like a game the Jets should win, and for that reason they probably will lose. However, when an immovable object meets an unstoppable force, you have this football game. You have the New York Giants, who for some reason have completely and utterly forgotten how to win. They lose to Buffalo, don't get any help from the refs. They lose this game in a complete and utter cluster. Clown Fiesta, we'll talk about it. We are talking about it. We'll get to the blow-by-blow in the fourth quarter. Um, So you have a team in the Jets that historically lose games they should win, and you have a team in the Giants that do pretty much the same. What happens? Well, of course Tyrod Taylor gets injured, because that's the Giants pretty much the way their season's been going. He gets hurt. Tommy DeVito comes in and goes two for seven, negative one yards. I believe he threw three of these passes in overtime. He played half the game. Played half the game. Played more than half the game, I believe. I'm going to read you his stats from the preseason games. These are preseason games, but I'm illustrating a point. Please give me a little bit of latitude. First preseason game. Tommy DeVito goes 15 of 24, a buck 55, a touchdown and a pick. Okay. Second preseason game. Tommy DeVito goes 9 of 11, 88 yards. Wow. Third preseason game. 19 of 29, 210 yards, a touchdown and a pick against the New York Jets. He's throwing to guys that aren't on the team anymore. He's throwing to guys that are on the practice squad. I get it. However... What is the purpose of keeping a quarterback on the practice squad? What is the purpose of keeping a third quarterback out of the preseason so he knows your playbook if you are not going to throw the football? We don't even get to mock the Jets for losing to a team that had seven passing yards through the air. We don't. You know why? Because the New York Giants made a mockery of everything. I I can't. Graham Gano misses a kick early in this game. It comes out after the game that Graham Gano needs knee surgery. 
niece, did it sneak up on him? He must have fell on Monday night. They try, oh my goodness gracious. All right, let's go blow by blow here. Because there's plenty of notes that have been taken. Plenty. The New York Giants are up 10-7. to It is the fourth quarter. It is fourth and one with 20 seconds left on the clock. They are in the red zone. The Jets have not been able to manufacture points since the first quarter of this football game. The first quarter. The New York Giants, on third and short, handed the ball off, didn't make any progress. Now, if you are in this situation, you could say, let's just kick the field goal. We'll go up 13-7 and make them score a touchdown. However, I will counterpoint you. I will be that guy. This was a first guess. The New York Jets have been unable to move the football. Well, if they're unable to move the football, let's just go for it on fourth down. People love to talk about analytics and this and that, and the win percentage after this and that. Brought to you by Amazon Web Services. The win percentage, the win projection, what's the stat? The likelihood... Right? You know what the likelihood of the Giants winning if they convert that fourth and one is? A hundred percent. One hundred percent. Okay, let's kick the field goal and give them a chance. Why? 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 You know how they scored their touchdown, the New York Giants? On a little read option keeper with Tommy DeVito at the goal line. Why not dial that play up a second time and see what happens? And let's get to the Tommy DeVito point. Apologies in advance. If there's a little audio clipping, I think I have it pretty set, so we're not clipping anything crazy. You're not getting feedback. But a little amped up, and my throat's not doing great. Pause. But, no, it's not doing great because of the sickness. So apologies in advance. Let's talk about Tommy DeVito. I just read you his preseason numbers. You want to do a little quick math with me here? Tommy DeVito in three preseason games completed 43 passes on 64 attempts. This was enough for the New York, just 67%. It's not bad. He went for two touchdowns, two interceptions. This was enough for the New York Giants to keep him on the practice squad. Due to Daniel Jones' injury, he was elevated. They knew he might play. They knew. This is not a surprise. He's the backup quarterback. Let's look at the practice squad QBs around the league as we sit. This is per football database. Footballdb.com. Arizona practice squad, Jeff Driscoll. Bills practice squad, Shane Bouchelle. Panthers, Jake Luton. Bears, Trace McSorley. Bengals, A.J. McCarron. Broncos, Ben DiNucci. Remember that name? Lions, David Blow. Packers, Alex McGough. Colts, Kellen Mond, formerly of Minnesota. Jaguars, Nathan Rourke. Chiefs, Chris Olatakun. Chargers, Max Duggan, formerly of TCU. Rams, Dresser Wynn. Vikings, Sean Mannion. Patriots, Malik Cunningham, who saw a little bit 
in one of those games. Giants, new practice squad QB, Matt Barkley. Jets, Trevor, Trevor Simeon, excuse me. Commanders, Jake Fromm. And we're back to the Cardinals. Now, I read you these names because not all of these names are guys that are ready to play. In fact, most of them are not. However, some of these names are names you've heard before. Like Jake Fromm. Like Jeff Driscoll. Right? Like Trace McSorley. A.J. McCarron. Guys that if everything has gone wrong, you would be okay putting on the football field. That's the job of the practice squad quarterback. You are in only for emergencies. Now, with that being said, if you are going to be in the game at all, and you know the playbook, I like to think that the coaching staff is keeping you around for a reason at all. Not just because you're Tommy DeVito and you're a New Jersey guy. Okay. Sure. I thought Tommy DeVito looked alright in the preseason. I truly did. Then, the New York Giants brought him out in an NFL game, and he went 2-for-7 with negative one yard. I'm not here to, you know, belittle Tommy DeVito. I think he's relatively talented. I'm here to belittle the Giants coaching staff, who decided, in a situation where their starting quarterback's been hurt for weeks, this is the guy who's going to be the emergency guy. Oh, by the way, if and when he gets in the game, and Tyrod Taylor has been injured in past, he also is a relatively mobile QB. He might take a hit. We're going to go with a guy that we have no confidence throwing the football. Oh, yeah! This is a great idea! How could this fail, Brian Dable? How could this fail? The New York Giants are sitting at 2-6. and six. They get a friendly call in Buffalo. Oh, by the way, or they don't botch before halftime. Are you a pessimist or an optimist? An optimist blames the refs. A pessimist blames the coaching staff. That's not going anywhere. They could have won that game. They could have won this game. They probably should have won both. They'd be sitting at 4-4 four and four with Daniel Jones coming back, and they're facing the, the hapless Las Vegas Raiders, who are trotting out a rookie head coach and a rookie QB, and the Raiders are favored in Vegas. I mean sports betting. Not just in the town. The gambling sites think that the Raiders, with a coach who's never coached a game, Jeff Saturday style, and a QB who's a rookie, who the previous regime went Brian Hoyer over him after giving him a rental, that's who they think's going to win. This is an embarrassment. This is embarrassing. That's who the New York Giants are. Some of you out there, if you're an NFC East fan or anyone that's been watching Giants football, you're saying this is what the Giants do. They are embarrassing. That's what they do. And you know what? I don't have an argument for you. We are a decade removed, and all the players removed, and all the executives removed, pretty much, from the championship New York Giants teams. They're long gone. Eli Manning's on your television on Mondays, palling around with his brother. Right? Tiki Barber's on the radio. He wasn't even on those teams. Shout out to Tiki not being on those Super Bowl teams. Michael Strahan's doing God knows what on television. This is not the Giants that you will remember so fondly. Oh my goodness. I, I, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. Additionally, and let's go back on the analytics thing. All year, all year, you will get, oh, it's the analytics play to go for two here just because. But we're, we're down fifth. You know, we're, what? Okay. 
Well, we'll go for sure. We'll go for two here. Why not? If we get it, then you know we'll take the lead. We're down 14, sure. But if we don't get it, we'll just go for two next time. Oh, well, it's the analytics play. You know, you get it. Well, we, analytics, yeah, sure. Someone sit down and explain to me. And I'm far. Look, I may not be the brightest man on earth. I'm no mathematician. I'm not an astrophysicist. I will readily admit that to you. But I have basic understanding of mathematics. I truly do. I took calculus. It was okay. Right? Got a five on the AP. Did my thing. Took a statistics course in college. Did my thing. Got an A. Feed me the numbers. Show it to me. Well, you see, hold on, here's the thing. When we enter it into our proprietary model, it says that there's a 53.7% chance that we score if we do this. And, you know, if we win the coin toss twice, look at that. But that, but why, though? But why? I, I don't get it. And the point I'm getting at is we're getting fed this all year. And I'll rip Brandon Staley to Kingdom Come, and I'll continue to do so. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure he'll be here to be ripped next year. Because these decisions are puzzling. They are. They're perplexing. But they're the analytics decisions. So fourth and one, your team is two and five. You've been running the ball all game. That's what you're doing, right? Over 50 carries on the ground for the New York Giants in this game. 50. They racked up, what is this? Just under 200 yards? About 200 yards? Their leading receiver had four yards receiving. It was Darren Waller. He got hurt. I mean, this is the time to be conservative? And oh, by the way, what happens, of course, Graham Gano, who they find out after the game had a knee injury. It, your kicker has a knee injury, and you'll... Okay. All right. Sure. Let's go with that. He, they missed the field goal. Zach Wilson goes down the field, of course. In overtime, the New York football giants throw... Three consecutive passes underneath to Barkley that goes nowhere. Then, when the Jets get the ball, Adoree Jackson, who was a relatively big-ticket signing for the Giants a few years back, gets a pass interference while covering a receiver you've never heard of. I've never heard of. I believe it was Jeremy Ruckert. I might be wrong. A practice squad receiver on your former big-ticket corner and he gets a pass interference, and you lose the game. You deserve to lose. You're bad. Oh my goodness. This is this is quite honestly reminiscent of the McAdoo fall from grace. McAdoo took him to the playoffs, they phoned it in, and then everything was on fire. I think Brian Dable is a decent coach. But sometimes watching the Giants makes me disagree with myself. There's the Giants rant. I'm no Don LaGreca. I'm not doing it just so you have a rant for you. But I couldn't, in good conscience, not mention the hapless New York Giants. M more news and notes before we get into the pick'em portion. Uh, Matthew Stafford, day-to-day -day with a thumb injury. We'll talk injuries there in a sec. Kendrick Bourne out for the year with an ACL injury. Leonard Fournette to Buffalo. Cool. Um, playoff Lenny. Whatever. Uh, 17 straight games with a touchdown for McCaffrey. I think that's the record now. Cool. We didn't even talk about Jim Harbaugh. We're going to sit on that one. Okay. We'll get there because he's probably going to be leaving. We know that. Um, Desmond Ritter benched in Atlanta. We didn't even talk about that. Um, it. I don't know if it's the right move, but I guess if you're trying to win, Heineke's the guy. I guess, and we didn't even mention this, 
trading your two premier pass rushers in a year where you're supposed to be a contender, I kind of think the writing's on the wall for Riverboat Ron, but we'll see what Washington decides. That's the end of my standout seven. It was one of the standout sevens of all time. Let's get into the, my favorite part, your favorite part of the episode, the pick'em portion of this week's episode. We're going to get started with a game over in Deutschland, Frankfurt Stadium, the Miami Dolphins taking on the Kansas City Chiefs in one of the better matchups we've ever seen coming out of the NFL Europe series. The injury report for this one brought to you by NFL.com as per usual. The Dolphins going to be without their offensive lineman Rob Hunt with a hamstring injury as well as safety Brandon Jones who's in the concussion protocol. Questionable a laundry list. Fellow offensive lineman Teron Armstead with a knee. Braxton Berrios at receiver with a hammy. Wide receiver Kriver River Craycraft, excuse me, with a shoulder injury, tight end Durham Smythe with an ankle, center Connor Williams with a groin, and three corners, count them three, Justin Bethel with a foot, Xavier Howard with a groin, and Nick Needham with an Achilles, all questionable as well. Chiefs going to be without running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in this one with an illness, questionable linebacker Willie Gay with a back injury, and wide receiver Richie James with a knee. I don't know... I don't know. Part of me has faith in Steve Spagnolo and his ability to try to draw something up, considering how many years they were practicing against a Tyreek Hill-featured offense. But I don't know if you can scheme something to stop speed. I mean, you can put your hands on him all you want. You're going to get flagged up and down. I think I might be overpicking Miami. In years past, and I still have this uh, spreadsheet out there, I'd have to dig it up. I went through and looked. Certain teams I picked too heavily. Like the Chargers a few years. I picked them to win like 11, 12. If I sat down at the beginning of the year, I wouldn't have done that. But week to week, I just bait myself in. I fall into the trap of picking them. I think this year's team for that is Miami. And I'm going to continue that trend. Because as much as the Chiefs will likely bounce back and look way better than they did against Denver, I think Miami's just really good. I know they got punched in the mouth by Buffalo. If they get punched in the mouth by Kansas City here, I promise I'll take a step back off the bandwagon. But until that happens, give me Miami on the road. Back in the good old U.S. of A., oh, how I missed it. The Minnesota Vikings heading to Atlanta to take on the Taylor Heineke-led Falcons from the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Vikings going to be without D-lineman Dean Lowry. Questionable, wide receiver Jalen Naylor with a hamstring injury, guard Chris Reed with a foot, and linebacker Brian Asamoah with an ankle. Falcons going to be without their leading receiver, wide receiver Drake London with a groin, safety DeMarco Hellams with a hammy, and fullback Keith Smith, who's in the concussion protocol. Now, digging through here, Josh Dobbs is going to be active, but he is not going to start in this game. If Dobbs were starting, I would be intrigued. However, With Dobbs not starting, I'm going to take the Falcons with Taylor Heineke, even without Drake London, to win this one at home. Next, we move to Nolens, where the Chicago Bears take on the 4-4 New Orleans Saints from the Caesars Superdome. The Bears are going to be without DB Jaquan Brisker, who's in the concussion protocol, as well as Terrell Smith with an illness, offensive lineman Nate Davis with an ankle, and linebacker Tremaine Edmonds with a knee. Doubtful, QB Justin Fields with a thumb injury. Questionable, Lineman Braxton Jones, offensive lineman that is, with a neck injury. 
Saints can be without Ty Summers, who's in the concussion protocol and battling a hamstring injury. Rough. Questionable running back Keandre Miller with an illness and D-tackle Malcolm Roach, also battling an illness. Going to take the Saints at home here. If Justin Fields were playing, I'd be intrigued. Tyson Bagent, not so much. Sorry for the 60-second picks, but that's just the way it is this week. Give me the Saints to win this one at home. Next, we head to Lambeau, where the Green Bay Packers take on the visiting L.A. Rams. Rams are going to be without tight end Hunter Long with a hamstring injury. Questionable, QB Matt Stafford with a thumb injury. Wide receiver Puka Nakua with a knee. Offensive lineman Rob Havenstein with a calf. D-lineman Laurel Murchison with a knee. And corner Kobe Durant with a shoulder. Packers, just two listed as questionable, both on the defensive side. Linebacker Quay Walker with a groin injury. And safety Rudy Ford with a calf. I haven't really liked what I've seen from the Packers this year. I'm not going to lie to you. I had the Rams last week. They got blown out. We don't got to talk about it. Give me the Rams to win this one and bounce back on the road. Next, we've got the Washington Commanders heading to New England to take on the Patriots. Uh, The Commanders going to be without wide receiver Curtis Samuel with a toe injury and O-lineman Ricky Stromberg with a knee. Questionable, tight end Logan Thomas with a heel and safety Percy Butler with a calf. Patriots going to be without wide receiver Devontae Parker, who's in the concussion protocol, as well as O-lineman Calvin Anderson. Questionable, a whole laundry list, as is tradition for the New England Patriots. Wide receiver Tyquan Thornton with a foot injury, tight end Farrell Brown with a back injury. Offensive lineman Trent Brown and Vidarian Lowe with matching ankle injuries. D-lineman Christian Barmore with a knee, D-lineman Dietrich Wise with a shoulder. Linebacker Juwan Bentley with a hammy, linebacker Josh Uche with an ankle-slash-toe, and corner excuse me, and D-lineman Davin Gacho with an illness, and finally, corner Jonathan Jones with a knee. I'm taking the Commanders to win this one. The Commanders are the better team, even though I'm a little weary that morale might be low because they were sellers at the deadline. I'll take the Commanders because I haven't liked what I've seen out of the Pats in a little while. Next, cross-conference Battle of the Birds as the Seahawks head to M&T to take on the Baltimore Ravens. Questionable for the Seahawks in this one. Running back Kenny McIntosh with a knee. Two offensive linemen, Phil Haynes and Anthony Bradford, with a calf and ankle injury, respectively. Also questionable, one on the defensive side, Austin Folu with a knee injury. Ravens, doubtful offensive lineman Morgan Moses with a shoulder. Questionable, three DBs, Marcus Williams with a hammy, Daryl Worley with a shoulder, and corner Rocky Sin with an illness. This should be a relatively spicy game. But Baltimore's kind of flying high right now. This is uh, If they did what they did to Detroit, theoretically they should be able to do even worse to the Seattle team. Maybe Kenny Walker will make more of a difference. They'll try and play some ball control. But I don't know if you want to play ball control into the Baltimore Ravens. Give me the Ravens to win this one at home. Next, the Buccaneers head to Houston to take on the Texans. Buccaneers going to be without guard Matt Filer with a knee and D-lineman Logan Hall with a groin. Questionable, Vita Vea on the D-line with a groin injury, and two safeties, Christian Ezian and Kayvon Merriweather with an illness and ankle, respectively. Texans going to be without running back Damian Pierce in this one. Big injury. He's got an ankle. Wide receiver Robert Woods is going to miss this one with a foot, and tight end Brevin Jordan with a foot as well. Questionable, D-tackle Sheldon Rankins with a knee. Those are three pretty big injuries on the offensive side of the ball. I know the Buccaneers are slumping. I think this might be what they're looking for. 
Give me the Bucks to win this one on the road. Next, our final 1 o'clock kick. The Arizona Cardinals head to Cleveland to take on the Browns. Cardinals going to be without running back Imari DeMarcado with a toe injury, as well as offensive lineman Tristan Colon-Castillo with a calf. Questionable, wide receiver Greg Dortch with an ankle injury, wide receiver Michael Wilson with a shoulder. Quarterback Kyler Murray might make an appearance in this one. They're saying he might start. He might come out at halftime. He might not play at all. Uh, He's coming off the knee injury, obviously. On the defensive side, questionable D-lineman Kevin Strong with a shoulder and linebacker Chris Barnes with a hammy. The Browns going to be without wide receiver David Bell with a knee injury. Corner Greg Newsom the second with a groin and D-lineman Alex Wright with a knee as well. Questionable offensive lineman Dewan Jones with a shoulder. Noteworthy, Deshaun Watson not on this injury report. He should be good to go. And for that reason, I'm going to take the Browns. Realistically, it's because of the defense. But I'll say it's for Deshaun. Let's take the Browns to win this one at home. Next, we have a little bit of a, a slim 4-430 slate. The games are not tremendous, and they'll get started with a 405 kick where the Colts head to Carolina to take on the Panthers. Colts going to be without corner Juju Brents with a quad and offensive lineman Braden Smith with a hip-slash-wrist injury. Questionable for the Colts in this one. Wide receiver Josh Downs, who's been featured in their offense quite a bit with a knee injury. Offensive lineman Blake Freeland with a back. Linebacker Zaire Franklin with a knee, big one. And safety Rodney Thomas with a knee as well. Meanwhile, on the Panthers' side, they're going to be without Claudine Sherilis. Claudine? Claudine? And wide receiver LaVisca Chenault with an ankle. Doubtful, safety Von Bell with a quad injury. Questionable, wide receiver DJ Chark and corner Dante Jackson. Elbow and quad, respectively. This is a weird one. I don't think either of these teams is great. I think the Panthers are straight up bad. The Colts have been able to win some games, though. However, when you're kind of out kicking your coverage and playing above your weight class, a game like this could sneak in and wind up being not a trap game, because it's not like they're, you know, running away from anyone. But this could kind of show why they're 3-5. and five. I'm a little weary of that. However, I haven't seen enough out of the Panthers' offense. Maybe we'll get there. Maybe their personnel's just not there. Give me the Colts to win this one with some Jonathan Taylor ground and pound, perhaps. Moving into the 425 slate, we've got one of two bangers. Just kidding. We've got one good game here. We'll start with the non-good one. The New York Giants head to Vegas to take on the Raiders in Antonio Pierce's first game as a head coach, which is tremendous. Giants are without their kicker, Graham Gano, as we said. They're without Tyrod Taylor, which means DeVito should be backing up. They're also going to be without tight end Darren Waller, which could have been a homecoming game for him. Uh, questionable, running back Jay Sean Corbin with a hammy, offensive lineman, oh no, Evan Neal with an ankle, and Andrew Thomas, who's missed quite a bit of time, also listed as questionable. Daniel Jones is going to play in this game. The Giants are 2-6. and six. But hey, why not? The Raiders going to be without one of the best names in the game in linebacker Divine Diablo with an ankle injury. Also going to miss Luke Masterson at the linebacker position, who's in the concussion protocol. On the offensive side, they're without their fullback, Jacob Johnson, with a concussion as well. And offensive lineman Thayer Munford Jr. with a neck. Questionable, Robert Spillane at linebacker with a hand. I'm taking the Raiders. The Raiders are at home. The Raiders have Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams, who are better than anyone the Giants have on offense. Sorry, Saquon. Give me the Raiders. You know what? I believe in Antonio Pierce. I like Antonio Pierce. I thought he should finally get his shot, and you know what? Let's do it. Give me Pierce 1-0 at home. 
Next, we've got the first of really two tremendous games to end our Sunday. 425, the Dallas Cowboys head to the link to take on the Eagles. Cowboys listing just two questionable offensive linemen, Chuma Idoga with an ankle slash knee and Tyron Smith with a neck. Eagles going to be without Boston Scott in this one. Huge, though they're not playing the Giants. Also going to be without tight end Grant Calcaterra with a concussion. Guard Cam Jurgens with a foot and corner Bradley Roby with a shoulder. Show me. Show me, Dallas. I'm supposed to believe that Dallas can push Philly. Dallas is, you know, 1A and 1B in this division. I'm going to need to see it to believe it. I'm taking the Eagles to win this one at home. I know they just beat up the Rams. I know they beat up the Giants. Yeah, you should beat up the Giants. You should beat up the Jets. Arguably, you know, should beat up the Rams. Um, Let's see what you got. I think Philly's got more punching power, and for that reason, I'm taking the defending NFC champs to improve to 8-1 and one at home. Next, we've got a massive game from Cincinnati. The Buffalo Bills taking on the Bengals. The Bills chasing the Dolphins in their division. The Bengals chasing the Ravens in theirs. Bills going to be without two linebackers, A.J. Klein and Balin Specter, with a back and hammy, respectively. Bengals going to be without D-tackle Josh Tupu with a shoulder. Questionable. Linebacker Akeem Davis-Gaither with a knee. Offensive lineman Max Sharping with a knee. And Joe Mixon with a chest injury. The Bills are very hot and cold. I saw what they did to Miami. It's very impressive. I saw them play the Giants and look not good. I think Cincinnati out of that bye week is going to kind of rise up the ranks in the AFC. Shot out of a cannon, so to speak. Um... Hard to tell if I'm just hard stuck on my Super Bowl pick or if it's truly something that is relatively believable to happen. But we'll find out on Sunday night. You know what? I've got the Bengals winning this one at home. Finally, we've got Monday night football. The L.A. Chargers at 3-4 and four head to the East Coast to take on the Jets at 4-3. and three. No injury report because we're just a hair too early for this one. I'm not taking the Jets. The Jets just barely beat the New York Giants. It looked ugly, it looked gritty, and that's how they should win their games. But I don't think the Chargers are going to let them play that game. Zach Wilson is going to have to throw the ball. Give me the Chargers to pull off the win on the road. Next, we've got one of the Thursday night football games of all time. To kick off Week 10, the week of our mid-season recap, mid-season awards, mid-season special, we've got the Carolina Panthers heading to Chicago to take on the Bears. We don't know if Justin Fields is going to play. I, does it matter? I don't know. I'd like to see Fields versus Young. If it's Bajan versus Young, okay, sure. And Why not? I'm going to take the Panthers. I just told you I haven't liked what I've seen. There's talent there. Miles Sanders is pretty good. Chuba Hubbard is pretty good. I think Bryce Young has potential. I don't know if Tyson Bajan has potential. Uh sure this will be one of the football games of all time give me the Panthers to win this one on the road and just like that folks we are at the end of episode number 176 of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports join us again next weekend for episode number 177 I can tease it as many times as you want mid-season recap it should be fun we'll see how awful my early season picks were and how awful my midseason picks are going to be. Um, whether it's your first episode or your 176th, thanks for tuning in. Hope to see you next weekend. 
Thanks for bearing with me for the second week in a row, folks. I know my voice is a little beat up. Taking the Mucinex, doing my thing, got some Vicks going, trying to get it back to normal. Trying to cut out all the coughs if we somehow can. Um, Thanks for being here. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.